the sound of your voice be damned. They are listening to the content that you're delivering because they know you've got a valuable message that if they listen to it and they absorb it, they're going to be able to make some transformations in their life and that could make all the difference. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am really excited to bring another fantastic guest to you. You guys know how much I love having conversations with people who have tried things and figured out what works and figured out what doesn't and been able to constantly build on those experiences to create something of value and share that with the world. And I feel like that's exactly what Jason Sircone has done. Jason is a creative professional strategist and podcaster. He's the founder of Sircone Consulting, where he helps brands and professionals get optimized for successful podcast guest marketing initiatives with hands-on training and coaching. He's also the host of Evolution of Brand, a podcast featuring self-defined entrepreneurs and professionals sharing inspirational stories and tactical brand building strategies. I am so excited to jump into this conversation because I truly believe that podcasting is the best medium to build relationships right now. Otherwise, I wouldn't still be doing it. And what I see time and time again that I'm excited to jump into with Jason is that person who gets on a podcast interview and is entirely unprepared and blows an amazing opportunity to be able to reach and make great connections. So I'm really excited to jump into that. Before we bring Jason on, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. If you are somebody who is ready to take your business to the next level, a business owner, entrepreneur, or service-based professional who really wants to nail down where you're spending your time and why so that you can provide the most resources to others to impact the lives that you want to impact in your business, then let's sit down and have a conversation. I have an amazing workbook that you can get for free on my website, successdevelopmentsolutions.com, where you can figure out what success means to you and learn how to set realistic goals that will help you move closer to where you want to be in your life, business, and relationships. If that sounds like something that would be valuable to you, head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com slash lifewheel, download that worksheet, and let's have a conversation. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Jason. Jason, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Amber. Excited to be here with you. I love what you're doing with this show and happy to be a part of it. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here. And I love having conversations with people who understand the power of podcasting as a medium. And I know that there are so many people that come on that understand the value of it for their business and marketing. But what you're doing is so much different because it's understanding the value of the actual interview itself and what can happen there. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, that's a, 
one of I wouldn't say that it's understated, but I think one of the things that sometimes gets overlooked is the value the guest brings to an overall podcast production. And a lot of times we put the focus on what the host is doing and what the producers are doing to get that product out into the world. And as a podcaster, I fully appreciate that. But at the yeah. same time, when it's a host guest dynamic, much like your show, Amber, much like mine, the guest's expertise is enormous. And if the guest shows up prepared for their interview, ready to provide value for the audience and truly makes a significant impact, everybody wins. Yeah. The host wins because they get a great piece of content to present to their audience. The audience wins because they get a great piece of content to listen to. And the guest wins because they're getting an opportunity to make that impact. And hopefully the audience finds them for even more value. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely tremendous. Yeah. And I'm really excited to dig into it for multiple reasons, because I think that what we're going to talk about today in the podcasting world is able to be repeated and duplicated in every marketing scenario that's out there. So if you are in a different industry and you're not podcasting, but you have any type of connection conversations with somebody, what we're going to talk about today on how to set yourself up, how to really um, create an amazing interview and showcase what you can do for your clientele is going to set you apart from everybody else in that conversation. Yes. And that's one of the big things about it is really setting yourself up for success with a strategy that takes you from a point of value from start to finish. And yeah. there are oftentimes so many people that drop the ball in that respect because they think a list of accolades is all that's needed to qualify to be on a podcast. That's yeah. all well and good. And it's great that you've accomplished some awesome things in your career. But what kind of value are you going to bring to the show? What can we talk about that's going to impact the audience Ultimately, what's going to be the dynamic that makes you and I have a fantastic conversation and getting yourself set up in this capacity is really going to make your value shine through. And then as a podcaster, you can say, wow, that person's great. I'm going to bring them back again because they were such a valuable asset to my show. Or I'm going to recommend them to one of my friend's shows because they were such a valuable asset for me. Why wouldn't they make that same impact elsewhere? So you really put yourself in a great position to win if you do it properly. Yeah. And that referral conversation is huge because I mean, look at um, my show. I have 230 episodes. I think you have over 600 when I saw it. Did you, how many episodes do you have? Well, Evolution of Brand, my current podcast just hit 50 this week as we sit and record. Okay. And I'm switching to two episodes a week. I've done in my life between podcasts I've done on my own and other people's that I've helped produce. I'm, I'm probably over the 750 mark at this point. I, that's more of a just that's a rough estimate. I never kept the yeah. official track, but it's something in that ballpark. Yeah. So that's between the two of us, almost a thousand connections that we have that we could open up to somebody who provides impressive value on a show. And I think that that's really where podcasting gets understated. Like the conversation between mm -hmm. you and I is going to be amazing, but then there's this other conversation between you and whoever's listening to this podcast right now and me and whoever's listening to this podcast. But then it goes to those thousand people that we could introduce each other to. And it just becomes this endless possibility of connections and impact. The podcast medium to me, one of the most amazing elements and really something that everybody needs to keep in mind, whether they're appearing as a guest or starting their own show is you have intimate time with the listener for the length of that show, if they are interested in that podcast and they're excited for a new episode to come out every week, 
they're going to work it into their daily routine on that day whenever it launches. So whether it's at the gym or on their way to work or walking the dog or doing chores around the house, you're in their ear. You have that period of time to truly resonate with someone. And the more consistently you do that, the more they buy into your message and they, and they really get to know you. And it gets to a point where they become so loyal to you and your brand that when the buying decisions need to be made, they're fr you're front of mind for them. And yeah. most of the sales work is already done because any type of cold call or cold interview has been taken care of because you really kicked butt on your podcast interviews and on your podcast presentations for your own show. So when you start thinking about it on that level, it really takes it to another level and makes it even more powerful. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig deep into some of these concepts. But before we do, let's let everybody know a little bit about you because I love your backstory. I haven't met anybody who we're just talking about before we went on how we're coming from that generation where everybody's favorite question to ask when you were a kid was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I'm six. I'm trying to figure out what I want to like where tomorrow. Um, I've never met anybody in our space. It was like, man, I want to be a podcaster when I grow up. What did you think your career was going to be when you were a kid? Gosh, when I was a kid, I don't know if I had any direction. There was always something in me where I, I wanted to do my own thing, but I didn't really know what that meant. And my first real foray into that was when I was 13. And down the street from my house was a gentleman who had a baseball card shop. He was an older guy, but he because I was into that as a hobby, I would be down there blowing my allowance all the time <laughs> and really got to be friends with him. And he would set up at these card shows at the mall. They'd usually do them like once a quarter. And one time he invited me to come down. He said, if you want to try this, just see what it's like. See if you want to sell some of your cards. And he actually got me set up with a partner of his who rented me a table. And that was really my first experience with this is how you run a business. It cost me X amount of dollars to get this table. How do I make that money back plus a profit with all of these baseball cards and football cards that I've got as inventory? And I learned very quickly that, yeah, I can turn a profit quickly and then I can blow that profit on more inventory at all the other card tables <laughs> real quick. So that was where it all started for me. And I, I always thank my parents for instilling a hard work ethic in me. They weren't entrepreneurs themselves, but they both worked incredibly hard at their jobs. And I, and I only saw that. Yeah. It wasn't to the point where, you know, like some parents are completely absent and you don't get to see them. They worked their jobs, but then when they were home, it was family time. And, and we always had that. And I feel incredibly fortunate to have grown up in that environment because so many people didn't. Yeah, so I agree with you. Today. I agree with you. You know, I watched my dad struggle in a construction business and he um, never let us know he was struggling. And while as a child, I appreciate that. As an entrepreneur, I wish that I could go back and have those conversations with him about what lessons I could have learned. And, you know, I have this conversation with a lot of people that I wouldn't have been ready to listen, but how amazing would it have been to have those seeds planted of what owning a business was really going to be like, right? When you, when you were a kid. So right. I love your baseball story. And it makes me remember every time I see somebody now that has a lemonade stand set up or is doing Girl Scout cookies or something to that effect, I always appreciate on a deeper level now that I'm an entrepreneur the lessons that they're learning at such a young age. And I'm a little jealous of that. 
Yeah, that was. I mean, even at that point back in the day, I, I don't remember ever having anything like that. But you're absolutely right, Amber. I think getting those things out there at an early age, it just you learn the basics. You're not expecting anybody to blow up a multi-million dollar company when they're that age, or maybe they will. I don't know. The world is completely changing. So yeah, with technology as it is, that could absolutely happen. And I mean, I know I've talked to some people that have made millions on YouTube, or they know people that have made millions on YouTube, and they're 15, 16 years old just blows my mind. Me too. But Me too. I think getting those early skills embedded is it's it's valuable information that you can carry with you forever. My daughter was starting a little business with her friend where they were making little like craft jewelry things and they were going to sell them. I said, great. Please let me know if there's anything I can do to help you or support you because I love that you're driven in that respect. How do you think being a business owner or an entrepreneur informs the way that you handle conversations with your daughter in that situation? For me, it's been it, it's been the work ethic thing because I, I've never want her to think that this is the path she has to take, but I want her to know that it's an option. And, and how it, old is she? She's 12. Okay. So she's at that point now where she's figuring some things out and all kinds of different changes are happening in her life. And she's doing, you know, for now the focus is school. Obviously I want to make sure that she's excelling and, and it, I will say, you know, to give her a ton of credit last year when it was fully remote school, they had a hybrid option, but me and her mom just didn't feel comfortable and she didn't really want to be a part of it either. So throughout COVID she did the whole school year from home and did had perfect attendance did everything that was expected of her and ended up passing grade with high grades in her class. And she learned so much about self-accountability, making sure she was on time for classes, setting schedules that she had to follow, and then about making sure the work was done as well. That's a lot to be thrust on you at the age at that point she was 11. And I know a lot of kids were in that same boat and parents too, trying to figure this whole thing out as we went. But I mean, my hat's off to her and all the kids that had to adjust in, in that realm and really make it happen. It's amazing. And what I love, I'm not a parent. Um, I do understand human behavior and the way that the mind is formed through my NLP training. So when I see parents who are raising a child the way that you just described, it makes my heart so happy because you're bringing in this idea that there are choices and that they're powerful things for you to be able to understand. And, and there are so many people who would say, well, she's only 11. This isn't her responsibility to have to handle. But then we create 19 year olds and 20 year olds who think that choices aren't their responsibility to handle. And so I love the fact that the younger we get people involved in choices that affect them guided by parental advice, the more impact that we can have on creating people who are able to make choices as adults. 100%. And I know I've had this conversation on my podcast. I've had it with other parents. I, I do not understand this mentality that some sports programs have where kids are not keeping score. Me neither. And, and my daughter had that. We, we I went to her first soccer game and asked somebody what the score was. And they said, no, we don't keep score. And oh, I was furious. Because what what are you doing when you do that? You're setting them up to not know how to handle adversity, to not know how a loss feels to not know how something negative feels. So you can say, how can I do better next time so I don't feel like that? I, I, you, you've got to experience that at a young age because when that happens when you're an adult, 
what are you going to do then? Then you're, you're, yeah. you're looking at, and it's, it's usually more dire at that point because you might lose a job or get passed over for a promotion or you're building your own business. And one of the obstacles that you just can't get past keeps knocking you down. How do you know to get back up from that? If you don't learn at an early age that sometimes you lose and you've got to make yourself get up off the mat, improve yourself and do better the next day so you can win. Blows my mind that this yeah. was never thought of on that level. We just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> you know, and it's so interesting because I feel like, and this is, you know, zero politics. I feel like a lot of times when we're having this conversation, people bring it into a political realm and it's really a mindset growth realm of yeah. our brain learns through repetition. And if through repetition, what we're teaching it is that there. There's no lessons to be learned here because scores don't matter and you've just got to show up. Then what does that do when you show up to your first job and all of a sudden they want like after actions reports and they want to know what went well in a situation and what didn't go well in a situation. And you don't know how to analyze that because you've never been asked to do it before in your life. I have a client who was telling me a story about a couple interns that she had and it was something very similar to that because they just... They weren't willing to do even the work that was expected of them because it just wasn't taught to them at a young age that this is what you do to make yourself stand out and make yourself a valuable part of the corporation or whatever business you're a part of or whatever, even if it's not a business. You, I mean, this talks to your personal life, too. If you're playing pickup basketball with your friends at the park, what are you going to do to be a valuable member of the team mm -hmm. so your team wins? It can be as simple as that. But when she told me that in my head, I'm thinking they just needed college credit. This looked like a great opportunity. They're going to get their credit. They're going to move on. They're not going to learn a damn thing. And what kind of value are they taking into the real world once they graduate? Not much because they didn't use that as a learning experience. They didn't really dig into it. They just showed up to get their credit. They coasted through and then who knows what comes next, but chances are it's not going to be as good as it could be. Yeah, I 100% agree. So how does, and I know that there's a lot of time frame in between 13, well, okay, that was going to be incredibly insulting. Not a lot of time frame in between no, there, well, 13 it certainly feels like and where um, you are now. There's some age and some number of undisclosed years between 13, Jesus, Amber, um, and where you are now. Um, how does one go from baseball cards to podcast coaching and consulting and having this amazing business consulting business that you have. How did you find that as your niche? I hope everybody's airbags are working. <laughs> this is a windy, bumpy road. I did some radio in college and I went to university of Pittsburgh at Bradford, Bradford being my hometown, Bradford, Pennsylvania. And they had a little radio station there. I majored in communications, So I got to be a part of this program and I had my own radio show. It was a blast. I mean, it went maybe two miles off campus. I mean, the only real proof that I knew that someone was listening is it would reach my mom's office. <laughs> so she said, anytime my radio show was on, they'd all put it on at their office so everybody could hear me, which felt good. So I knew more than just some of the students that knew I was on the air were listening to me. But I loved radio. And I looked into it lightly after graduating. Discovered it wasn't easy to really break in. And what ended up happening was I... I don't know why. I mean, let me see if I can. I, I haven't I haven't fully journeyed down this path from how it all came together to where I am now. But let me see if I can still do this. 
my senior year of college, I got this weird idea that I thought selling cell phones would be cool. Oh, awesome. It wasn't. I did that <laughs> for a few months right out of school. But I mean, I was still in Bradford at that point and realized I wanted to do my master's degree and moved to Pittsburgh shortly after. So moved down here, did a quick door-to-door job, door-to-door sales job for a few months. That was everything they say it is. Now, I will say anything that I will bring up, I will say, oh, yeah, it's bad. But there was learning experiences in mm-hmm. every single one of them. Being door-to-door, you have to think quick. I learned how to think quick, how to break the ice in like two seconds. No one wants to have you on their stoop selling them something. No. If you can make it entertaining, if you can crack a joke real quick, get them on your side, it makes the sales process a little bit easier. So I learned how to do that in those few months that I did that. And, you know, I'll tell you that I, I normally would, I'm not the person that says, I wish I could go back and do things different. Cause I love where I am in my life right now. But if I could go back and change anything, I would find as many door to door opportunities as I can, because every person that I know that is killer at sales sold door to door at some point in time, because yeah. they got that conversation experience. I can't disagree. I don't think I'd do it again, but yeah especially now the world is so different. I mean, I'm talking, this was when I first moved here. That was 2004 in 2022, 20 years later, it's no one trusts the door per no. somebody knocking at the door. So it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Not. And, and there's new door to door, whatever that looks like, but it's the, yeah. it's the process of, like you said, having to figure out what you're going to say to allow somebody to let you talk for another 10 seconds and then another 10 mm-hmm. seconds and then another 10 seconds. Yeah. So got that experience, parlayed that into car rental and enterprise rent a car for several years, uh, left that, did actual car sales for a few months, hated that. Did a few other jobs of varying success and then landed uh, with my what was my last corporate job working for or running the, the hair club office here in Pittsburgh for hair restoration. And I really enjoyed that job. I was there for four years, just about four years, and they unexpectedly fired me one random Wednesday morning. And it was it was just to, it was such it, to me, it was so out of left field because I had just interviewed for a regional management position a month prior. Everything in my office was going well to what I understood, but I found out I had a couple employees that weren't happy with me and they threw me under the bus and that was enough for them to make a decision apparently. And it's all history now. And before that, it was actually, no, actually I'm sorry, I take, it wasn't even before that. Three days later was my first podcast ever. Me and my friend had made the plan, which was a very loose plan to start a podcast. I was doing some craft beer advocacy through a blog I had created. Oh, that sounds fun. It was, it was, that industry was a blast. And we started this podcast. It was okay. I mean, I think from the experience standpoint, I learned a ton. It rekindled my passion for audio that, that I had had back in college when I did radio. But throughout that period, I knew that we weren't really doing it well. We were getting that hands-on experience, but I felt like we could be doing better. So after that show petered out, I'd launched another one. And when I was doing that, I just said, you know what, let's do this for real. So I shut that show down. I took a year and a half to just study other podcasters. Mm -hmm. I listened to people on the radio. I watched newscasters. I was being more analytical. It wasn't for entertainment or for the news. It was for how I can take some of these great habits and these great skills and bring them into my world. So I listened to how they spoke to others when they were doing interviews. 
What's the cadence of a conversation? Do they have good tempo? All of these different things. And it just, it all added to making me better at the craft. To me, that's the biggest step. So many people skip in this space. There's all kinds of 30 day programs to success and let's do this in 10 days and blah, blah, blah. Are you focusing on how you build your voice? Yeah. Without that, you don't have a podcast. Well, and there's so, something yeah. else that you said that I think is really important. And that is the intention that you have when you go into an experience. So, you know, I have an NLP training company and in order to get there, I had to go through it as a student and then go through it as a coaching assistant and then go through it as a trainer. And every time I listened to content throughout that process, I was listening to it for a different purpose. So I love what you said. The way that I show up when I'm listening to a podcast for entertainment is different than the way that I show up when I'm listening to maybe Larry King interview somebody, because my opinion, he is the best interviewer of all I agree, time. 100%. So to listen to him and say, how does he take somebody from where they are to where he wants them to go without them ever questioning the process and to be able to create a show that he knows is valuable for his listeners, that's mm -hmm. a different listening skill set than I wonder what this guest is going to say about this topic. Yes, no, absolutely. And that's where, you know, I look at my show now, Evolution of Brand. It was really, I call it the amalgam of all of the podcast experience that I've picked up over seven years because there were so many things that I learned. And when I launched that show, it was after about a year's worth of planning because I went back into that analytical phase and I started listening to podcasts for things that were working well and things that were, I didn't feel worked well. I mean, they might be working for that specific podcaster, but personally, I didn't think they would fit in my world. So I started looking at what elements I really loved and, and made notes and said, okay, this is how I want to do it with my show. I'm going to, whatever, whatever that element would be, I'm going to do it and I'm going to make sure that it's consistent across all episodes. So really with this show, I've had the benefit of experience on my side. And it's helped me grow to a point where the demand to be on the show has been so great that I now have to expand to how many episodes go out per week, which feels really good. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. So when did you say, OK, I've been doing this for a little bit. I've studied it a lot. I feel like I'm on to something. And there's this need that I'm seeing for others that could benefit from my knowledge. When did you decide this was going to be a business for you? I was talking with a friend. He called me up and said, I need to pick your brain. And at that point, I was just doing the podcasting for myself. And I was still working in the beer industry. I was actually helping some of our local breweries in Pittsburgh get their products out into the market. And I knew him from that because he owns a restaurant or a chain of restaurants. And he called me up and said, I want to start a podcast. Tell me what I need to know. I said, okay. So as I started telling him what he needed to know in my head, this light bulb went off and said, well, dude, you're scaring him with all this. That's probably good for you. Mm. <laughs> because as I was rattling off all of these things, I started saying, well, this is a lot of what I do for myself. Why couldn't I do this for him? So when I got to the end of the list of all the things he would need to do, there was this just hanging five second pause where, and then he finally said, damn, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> And I said, yeah, it really is. And this is why a lot of podcasters don't have their show take off because they don't know this on the front end. 
And if they do, they don't really take it seriously. And when they get into doing their show and actually having to do this consistently, they start to fall off a little bit and eventually it gets derailed. So if you're interested, I'd be happy to meet with you to see how we could partner up on this initiative. And I'd be happy to help you launch your show. He said, that's a great idea. And then we met and hammered it out. And that's, that was immediate for me. I said, this is great because I think I could do this for other people. And that's exactly what happened. I did it for others and we were off to the races. You know, it's so important for people to hear what you just said. So if you're listening to this and you're not listening to it live, go back and listen to that journey again, because the reality is you had a conversation with somebody and this is really what we do as podcasters and what good salespeople do. We don't try to hide anything, right? If you want me to tell you how I started my podcast, I'm going to tell you how I started my podcast. You can either do it yourself and that's cool. Or you can shortcut the time that it takes you to do it by allowing somebody like Jason Mm -hmm. to teach you and to help you take some of those things off of your plate. Mm -hmm. And the idea of, I feel like sales is shifting a little bit or has shifted over the last, I would say maybe seven or eight years from don't give them too much information that they can do it themselves to now give them all the information so they can do it themselves and then show them why they shouldn't. That's a tremendous point. And you're absolutely right. And I think what it really comes down to is time. And this is what, because now what I did in that process of doing production, I realized I knew how much time went into production, but when you start multiplying that by three or four, it it really consumes a lot of time. So I I actually brought on somebody and I outsourced some of that work and I focus more on the coaching side and the training side and optimizing people for guest appearances. And I still do podcast coaching it to some degree, but that that's what I tell everybody is you have to have that understanding upfront of the time that you have to invest. Mm-hmm. If you don't know upfront, cause and this is when I say to anybody, what's your podcast plan? I give them a series of questions that they need to answer and they can't do anything until they answer them. If you only have two hours a week to dedicate to your podcast production, do not do a two hour show yes, because you'll true. never be able to get it edited and, and produced and you're going to end up hating it. And then you'll quit. And that's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. I feel like in every decision, and this is super applicable to so many people who are listening to this show, because I feel like so many people are at a crossroads in their life where they're trying to decide, do I double down and invest in the career that I'm in? Do I start a side hustle and grow that? And it all comes down to, I feel so busy and it's all so expensive. And I feel like there's this, um, almost bar graph where you've got these two lines and one is time and one is money. And at some point in time, you have more time than you do money. And then at other times you have more money than you do time and understanding the relationship between those two things, in addition to understanding where you want to go and why is the only way that you will make it in this game at all. Um, When I started my podcast, I knew that I was never going to edit my own stuff Mm -hmm. and it wasn't technical. I, I would have spent the time to learn it. I knew that I hated the way I sounded <laughs> and that if I had to edit my own stuff, I wasn't going to have a show because I would edit out my voice and that would be a problem. <laughs> so I knew I was going to have to pay somebody to edit it. And, and for the first probably, I would say six months, I would send him the episodes and I wouldn't even listen to a replay till they were live wow. because I didn't want to influence what got put out there by somebody who that I was paying to edit it. So I think that's a valuable point of know what resources you have, 
where you want to spend them, how much time you have, how much money you have, how much knowledge you have, and who can help you fill in the gaps. Amber, you mentioned a very interesting point, especially in this space. So many people hate their voice. And sometimes that translates into never doing a podcast because they think everybody else is going to hate their voice. I hope the world hears what I'm about to say right now. That is not true. You are the only one that is truly thinking that. Everyone else is thinking about the value that you're bringing. I mean, there are incredibly rare exceptions with people's voices voices that are so unique, like a Fran Drescher or a Bobcat Goldthwait or <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried. Like these are all, and maybe I'm dating myself because these are all no aren't as I relevant mean, now as they used to be. But if you are, I'm on the train with you. Yeah. <laughs> but even them, they have successful careers because, because of it. Yes, of that. exactly right. And they're polarizing. Yes. People mm-hmm. either love their voice or they hate their voice. Yep. But you're right that 90% of people don't fall into that category. And this was something that I had to learn for stages and everything else. If I'm on a podcast interview and I'm thinking about what I sound like, I'm thinking about the wrong thing. Yes. Like I'm not, I'm never going to be able to provide the value that I could otherwise provide because you're in here instead mm-hmm. of in this conversation. Exactly right. And the, the, the voice part of it is end of the day, nothing compared to the value that you're bringing to the table whenever you do that interview or make that presentation or whatever scenario you're in. People aren't thinking about that, especially if you're knocking their socks off with the content you're bringing their way. The sound of your voice is nothing anymore. It basically just looks like the matrix at that point where you got the zeros and the ones and everything's green and everybody is zeroed into what you have to say. The sound of your voice be damned. They are listening to the content that you're delivering because they know you've got a valuable message that if they listen to it and they absorb it, they're going to be able to make some transformations in their life. And that could make all the difference. Yeah, I 100% agree. And this goes back to the conversation we had in the beginning of this episode about sports and failure and learning. We get to go through those uncomfortable moments. We get to listen to our voice and say, oh, you know what? That actually didn't sound the way that I wanted it to. If you're not willing to listen to it and figure out how to adjust so you can have the impact that you want voice-wise, you don't get better. You just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I look back, I mean, what, 230 episodes in? My first, second, third, 50th episode that it gets better every single time because I'm willing to take the feedback from myself and others. I love it when people reach out to me and they say, Hey, Amber, like this episode was really amazing until this point. I, I didn't know what you guys were talking about because to me, I knew the conversation and I forgot that there are people listening who don't have the same knowledge that the people that were in this conversation that you and I have. So then I get to step back and say, oh, wait a minute, how can I make sure I don't do that again? So it's all such a valuable learning process that goes into every area of our life. 100%. And that's one of the biggest things that I preach, no matter what platform I'm on when I'm talking about this. You have to keep the listener experience front of mind because at the end of the day, your podcast really isn't about you. It's really not even about your guest. It's about the listener and what they're getting from that message. Because if it's if the message is projected in a valuable way where the conversation flows, you're not stepping on each other as you try to make points, 
and ultimately the value can be felt for both sides, then the audience can resonate with that and, and they can get comfortable with it. And that's yeah. going to keep them coming back for more content. But if it's a train wreck from the start to where the host and the guest are constantly interrupting each other, no one's making a point. One side, it could be both sides, are just selling the whole time mm -hmm. and not actually trying to provide value. They're just trying to get a sale from the from the episode. Which is the most irritating thing ever. It's the worst. Who wants to listen to an infomercial on the podcast platform? Nobody. It's true. It's, it's true. Crazy, so. And the and then, you know, the venting side from a host here for just a second. When <laughs> you get done with a podcast interview, either as a host or as a guest, and then in the post interview breakdown conversation, it's all like, well, if you want to buy my stuff, you're like, that was not what any of this was about. Or for God's sake, or you get added to somebody's mailing list because you booked an interview with them and you've got 9 million mailing lists coming your way. So mm -hmm. it's there's all that stuff that goes on and it's all learning what the proper way is to build connections instead of just backdooring your way into a fake relationship. Yeah, you just said the key word, it's relationships. And I think that when you start looking at your podcast platform as a great relationship building tool, you're going to get so much more from it. It's so you, true. You get an, a great opportunity to network with somebody that shares your passions. They're like-minded. They're, they're bringing similar skills to the table. You get to do that while building your brand and getting a chance to talk to whoever is listening to the show. Yeah. That's incredibly powerful and fun. It's true. I personally can't think of a better way or a more fun way to build a brand because you get such a great opportunity to show up for shows, talk about what you love, give everybody something to let them escape from whatever issues they might be having, give them an opportunity to learn something, maybe solve a problem. And all you really are doing is showing up and having a conversation to make that happen. It's that so sounds true. pretty awesome and, to me, right? Yeah, it's amazing. And as a host, and I say this, it's going to sound derogatory and it's not. Um, I have had conversations with people that I had no business being in a conversation with. And, you know, people hear me say that and they're like, Amber, have some self-worth. I have my self-worth. I know I'm valuable to the conversation. I just didn't have a way to get in the door. The mm -hmm. Les Browns of the world, the Jordan Harbingers of the world. There's no reason that I should have been sitting having a conversation with Les Brown. And I got the opportunity to do that because of this medium. And the yeah. same thing goes for guests, right? So it's, it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, I no. want to know. Oh, no, you go ahead. I was like, no, I couldn't agree with you more. I, 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 a story from one of my first podcasts, the band Coheed and Cambria was coming to town for a concert. And one of the breweries that I worked with had a, they were big fans. So I was going to try to do something where it, while if they didn't have anything to do, I was going to bring them to the brewery to surprise the brewers. Oh, wow. And when I sent a message, just seeing if I could come anywhere near pulling this off, they responded with, well, would you guys be interested in doing a collaboration beer? I'm like, oh, wow, you just totally upped the game. And when I told the guys, they were all in on it and loved it. And that led to us getting to do a podcast with the lead singer of the band, who is very well known and very popular. And I would have never had that opportunity if I didn't have a podcast where I could say, yeah, we do this. And we talk to people about this type of subject. And here we are. And it worked out great. So yeah, this medium can open up a lot of doors and give you a lot of great opportunities. It's so true. So 
this podcast is about success and it's about defining your own idea of success. And we're going to get to that for you in just a minute, because I ask every single one of my guests the same question, but given what you do and the conversation we're having about platforming, I want to shift it just a little bit in the time that we have left. And I want to know, what do you think is the biggest block to success for podcasters first and then podcast guests? What do you think is the one mistake that they make that keeps them from um, acknowledging or achieving the success that they want to have in, inside of the podcasting? I think it's self-sabotage. I think a lot of times that imposter syndrome will creep in. So people will constantly tell themselves that they don't have enough downloads. I don't have enough people listening to this. And I always ask, well, what's enough? What number would you really be happy with? What do you need to see in order to knock that demon out of your world? No one has an answer to that because they don't think about what the number has to be. So I always like to flip that question on its head and say, okay, let's say your podcast has 50 listeners. If those 50 people showed up at your door and you brought them into your house and they were there to be impacted by something that you had to say, would you deliver or would you look past those 50 for all the other people that hadn't arrived at your house yet? Yeah. No one is going to look past the 50 because when you think of it in that, um, those, in those terms, that's a big number. Many people can't fit that many people in their house. So you have to start thinking about this on a different level and people get so hung up on a download number that's really, in essence, unless you're using it to get a big sponsorship or to get some sort of advertisement on your show, it's a vanity metric. Yeah. It does not dictate the success of your show. Too many podcasters think that it does, so they walk away too fast because it's just not growing fast enough. Instead, focus on the value that you put into every single episode and make your content so powerful and so valuable that one person hears it and says, this was awesome. I'm going to tell a friend. Yeah. One person does that, the exponential growth starts, and it's hard to slow it down once it gets rolling downhill. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is, you know, we talked about this a little bit when you were talking about your story, and I loved that you said that your first podcast episode, I think you said was three days after you had just gotten fired from a job, yeah. which most people would say, oh my gosh, I'm going to go on and what am I supposed to talk about? Like, I just failed at this job. I'm unemployed. I am going to go on and talk to people about God knows what. And instead, you were able to step into a place of knowing that you had value. So for that person that says, I don't have enough experience. I haven't been at my job long enough. People know more than me. There's people out here. that are more of an expert at this than I am. Why would anybody want to talk to me? What, what do you have to say to them? There's always going to be somebody that knows more. There's no question about that, but that's not the point. The point is what kind of value do you have and how are you going to relay that value to someone so they can show up and listen to it? As human beings, we are always seeking out new points of information. Tell me something that I may have already heard, but tell me from a different perspective so maybe I can get a little bit of a different slant on it. Now, I'm going to remove politics completely from what I just said because it doesn't seem like we can get there at this point in the world. <laughs> You're either on one side or the other, and there's no middle ground anymore. So let's just say that doesn't apply to politics. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek. But I think you have to get to that point where – if you are talking to somebody from a, a place of value, 
and utilizing the knowledge that you have to present that value, it's going to resonate with someone. Someone is going to pick up what you're putting down and they're going to take it and run with it. And like I said, with getting that exponential growth started with your podcast, impact one person today with your value. One person. When I go to bed at night, I always ask myself that one question. Was I able to impact somebody today? Mm. One person's all I'm looking to get to. It doesn't have to be millions of people. It doesn't even have to be something so profound. I can tell you today, my daughter's report card came out. I sent her a text as soon as I got it in the email and, and said, great job. She had a little bit of a slow start to the quarter, bounced back and her grades were great. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of how resilient you were. Thank you for putting in the effort. I'm very proud of you. And she's like, thank you, dad. That means a lot. I did my job today. I impacted one person today. Don't try to put yourself in a position to where it, your goals are so hard to achieve that you start hating yourself because you didn't achieve them. Yeah. Start small. Start with what you can achieve in a day. Everybody can impact one person each and every day. Start building from there. But don't get so far ahead of yourself that you think that the world is going to fall at your feet. And if they don't, it's because you're not as valuable as the person way over there. The person way over there has been doing this longer. Don't get hung up on trying to compete with somebody else. Be who you are and bring your own value out. That's what's going to make an impact. And whatever platform you choose to do that on, do it consistently. Don't always go into sales mode. Yeah. Let people fall in love with you. Once they do that, you can go on a journey with them and they're going to be more willing to walk alongside you. Yeah, it's so true. So I'm curious to know, and I'm going to ask this question again on two different sides of the mic, and it may be the same answer. It may be different. What do you think is the biggest mistake that we'll start with the hosting side that hosts make when they are reaching out to what they consider to be a dream guest for them? And pitching their podcast as an opportunity for that guest. What do you think is the biggest mistake hosts make? I think the biggest mistake a host can make is thinking too much of what their show might be. I mean, I think that we all are very proud of what we have to offer, but you don't have to present it as the world's greatest podcast and you have to come on my show because of X, Y, and Z. Make it simple. Because most people, whether they've been on millions of podcasts or they might be saying, I want to get on some podcasts. Oh, and this person just reached out to me. What a coincidence. I've never done this, but I'm going to try it. They just want to have a good conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's all about. So anytime I'm reaching out to anybody to come on my show, all I do is, is I compliment them on what they've achieved. And I, if I see something that, like, obviously I found them for a certain reason, I make sure I tell them that. And I say, I feel like this would be something great to talk about. If you're willing to have a conversation with this, I'd love to have you on my show. And we can throw down for 45 minutes and really dig into this a little bit more. In my mind, if they're posting about it or they've just achieved something in that realm, they're going to want to talk about it a little yeah. bit more. So by welcoming them on the show and giving them a stage to do that, I'm really appealing to them. And I'm not making it about me. Yeah. At the end of the day, on my end, I get this great piece of content that I get to share with my audience. But I've been notorious for saying that if no one listened to my podcast, or I'm sorry, I've been notorious for saying if one person listened to my podcast and that person was me, I'd be okay with it. 
because I'm getting to have these awesome conversations yeah. with so many professionals across the globe. And I've built my network through that. I've earned some business because of those conversations and forming some partnerships because of those conversations. It's huge. Yeah. So keep it simple. Invite them on for a conversation. Don't make it intimidating. And if you keep it light, they're more than likely going to respond with a positive. Yeah, I love that. And so now let's go for the guest. I feel like the world is the podcasting world, and I'm going to be as politically correct as I can, is um, overrun by podcast hosting or not hosting um, podcast pitching companies. And I know as a host, I get a ton of messages and mm. they don't always bother me, except there's zero intention to attempt to build a relationship at all. And so I'm curious for the guest who is maybe not using one of those services or maybe for the service that could learn something through this conversation. What do you think the biggest mistake a guest makes when they reach out to a host is? I hope we have enough time to really dig into this. This is a big part of my training program because okay. I feel this, most presentations, most pitches suck for the most part. There are some that are doing it well. There are some companies that are doing it well. There's individuals that I've talked to that have reached out that do it very well. But many people don't lead with value. And if Amber is a podcaster, you can attest. We're getting multiple pitches or presentations daily, weekly. And sometimes we might not have the bandwidth to bring them on the show. We just don't have the time or we're looking at six different presentations and only one of them actually took the time to listen to the show yes. and find something that resonated with them. So when they reached out, they could say, Hey, Amber, I just listened to episode 231 and Holy cow that the message that you and XYZ had on or Joe podcast guest had about XYZ was enormous. I actually do this with my business every day. And I've already told like three or four of my clients to listen to this podcast episode because they can get so much value from that. Yeah. If you're looking for more guests for your show, I would love to join you and we could have a great conversation about that. Or I also deal in XYZ, ABC. If you got that presentation versus someone that says, I'm a 7X earner and I've been featured here and this person picks up my laundry and you get this list of accolades with no real value about what they're going to bring to the show. Or you just get somebody that says, Hey, I'm really cool. I want to come on your podcast. Yeah. Here's Which all the reasons. Yeah. Here's all the reasons. And, and I'll tell you, um, I have an assistant that is solely responsible for sifting through pitch messages because that's mm -hmm. how many I get. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are the most frustrating are the ones that are, these are all the reasons that you should want to talk to me. Yeah. Like I, I, do you know how many people send me that same message every single day? The there's, there's two things that get noticed for me. So I love what you said. Um, number one is I listened to this episode and I can tell somebody who listened to the episode and somebody who took the title and thought they knew what the episode was. Mm -hmm. um, somebody who took the time to listen to the episode. I've had some people who listened to the episode, left me a review and put that in there, which, you know, all it is is showing a little bit of an investment in building a relationship above and beyond. Now, if you're not in the podcasting space and you're listening to this, this is just as valuable. When you're reaching out to a potential client, what are you doing to show them that you're invested in that relationship other than just buy my stuff, right? 
Right. The other one though, and this blows me away that more people don't do this. Um, I have two podcast pitching companies that have the golden ticket to my podcast. I will put any of their guests on that they send me. And it's because they both took the time to book a call with me as the host, find out what my show is about, find out what type of guests I was looking for so that they can make sure that when they book a guest on my show or recommend a guest on my show, it is mm -hmm. valuable for everybody involved. I don't have to question it. I don't mm -hmm. have to look at it and say, is this a valuable guest for my audience? Because they have done the work for me by understanding what I need. And that's incredibly under underused in this industry. I could not agree more. It's so rare that you get that. And I, 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 I had that experience with a couple of companies too, when I was doing my clients podcast and one thing that I did when I was doing booking, I'm, I'm still doing some booking, but now I'm, I'm shifting the focus to training more and just making sure that people are optimized through my training program. But one thing that I would recommend to anybody if they're doing this themselves or if they have an agent or even an assistant that's managing their interviews, once the interview concludes, touch base with that podcaster 24 hours later and ask them how it went. Yes. Get, get feedback because you never know there may be something that you need to address. The host might say, you know, Amber did this just to yeah. set you up for the future. And, you know, it helps you get better as a podcast guest to get that type of feedback. I, I actually, I did a, a, an interview on uh, someone's show who told me that in six years of podcasting, she had one company do that one time. Yeah. I've never had anybody do it. Right. And I don't, I mean, that's something I always was doing for my clients. The second, the, not the second, but I usually wait a day and say, Hey, heard the interview went well. I wanted to get your feedback. It's as simple Actually, as Actually, you know what? That's not true. I have had one do it. Okay. I have yeah, had I, one do it now that I'm thinking about it, but in 230 interviews, that's um, interesting that it's only been one. And mm -hmm. it's so cool because it shows, and, and this is, oh, we could go on for hours on this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, it shows an intent to grow, right? And this is an incredibly, I think, important and uncomfortable place to be in asking for feedback from people, because as a host, I know I have areas for improvement. We all do. As a guest, I know I have areas for improvement. We all do. And every single person I talk to gives me a different perspective on what went well and what didn't that I get to decide whether is important enough for me to change or whether I don't care about that being a point of view. Asking that question and not knowing what you're going to get in return is an incredibly uncomfortable place to be. And it is the foundation of everything involved in personal growth. Absolutely right. Like you said, you can't get better unless you get that type of feedback and you're not going to get that feedback unless you ask. Absolutely. Typically that's just not going to get offered up to you. So you have to take the first step yourself. Yeah. I feel like you and I could throw like seven episodes together and just <laughs> um, go for hours. And yet we have lives and responsibilities. So I do want to ask you the success question that I ask every single one of my guests. I believe that we cannot accomplish and design the life that we want to have if we don't have this guidepost of how we make our decisions. And to me, that guidepost is what does success mean to you? So for you as an individual, how do you find define success for you personally? For me personally, it's, it's building something that I can put out into the world that's valuable 
and at the end of the day can serve multiple purposes when I'm gone. Mm. And I have a focus and I have emphasis on a legacy. Now I've, I mentioned my daughter and I told her many times and we've had these conversations. Look, if you're ever interested, we can always talk about you doing some work in daddy's business and perhaps taking it over someday, but there's no pressure to do that. And I would never expect you to do it if you don't want to, but I want to have something in place that would allow her to do so if she wanted to. Also, I like creating content and putting things out there that people can enjoy when I'm long gone. I often think about people I've lost in my life and think if they would have had a podcast, I could have always, I could always go back and enjoy what they had to say and really reminisce about all the great times. So success for me is building a platform that allows me to do that on a daily basis. And when you think on that level, at least that this is how I see it. When I know I'm thinking on that level, I know the monetary end is going to take care of itself. Yeah, because I'm focused more on the impact that I'm making on people and how can I help them transform their lives and get them what they want. So when I coach somebody, when I walk them through my program, I'm always thinking that they have the answer. They know this. They know where they want to go. They know what it's going to take to transform themselves. They just need the tools to make it happen. So I'm going to be there to help guide them in the right direction. For me, that's impact. And for me, that's success. That's amazing. If people are listening to this saying, I really think that what Jason has can help me in my business growth, in communication with people, in getting on podcasts. And I want to know more about the guest accelerator program and just connect with you and continue this conversation. What's the best way for them to find you? Find me at jasoncircone.com slash more than corporate. And I am giving away a free guide called 10 Tips for Being a Valuable, Fully Optimized Podcast Guest. And that's really the foundation of my guest training. It gives you clear insight on what this program is all about and ultimately what it takes to be a valuable podcast guest. And once you pick up that guide, we can take the next steps to get you optimized and get you ready to build your brand as a value-driven podcast guest. I love it. Before we wrap up and end this um, episode of Amber and Jason. I'm sure it will not be the last one. Um, I have a quick random round for you. Are you okay with that? Let's do this. All right. If you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what profession would you like to attempt? Hockey player. Oh, I Let love me, hockey. You know, let me take that back. Golfer. Golfer is more my speed. I'm that's, 42 that's now. Okay I can't too. play hockey now. Let's play golf. <laughs> Professional golfer. You know, I went to my first minor league hockey game recently, and I remember thinking it hurts when I hear them hit the boards, and I'm not <laughs> even down there. I can't imagine <laughs> what that feels like. And then I remembered they were like half my age. So, Yeah, golf is definitely – I mean, I've been playing golf since I was seven, so that should have been my first answer, but I guess, I don't know, the more dangerous – cool side of <laughs> hockey would stand out let's go with golf so i don't hurt myself i don't know the masters is going on right now you still have yeah. your chance that's a good point i don't think i have that type of skill we'll see what happens <laughs> you know i was talking to somebody we were watching a couple of um holes in the masters and i said it's so amazing for me to watch this because i feel like they're golfing like me as i watch um ball after ball after ball go in the water and oh, then i no. realize that they are playing on a course that is 20 times harder than anything i've ever attempted so yeah i'd love to play that course just wants to see if I could break 150. <laughs> yeah, you sure and me both. <laughs> if you could time travel, where would you go and why? I would probably go back to, wow, that's a great question. I would say probably the 60s 
I'm basing a lot of what I I know off of Forrest Gump. <laughs> I feel like there is that was a very interesting time. So to be able to go back and experience what that was like actually being in the situation, I think that would be a lot of fun and very informative. Yeah, I think it'd be amazing. And if um, Captain Dan isn't real, I'm going to be really disappointed. <laughs> Captain Dan, is that L his name? Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan, that's right. <laughs> um, books. I believe that we learn so much from others. What do you think is a book that every new business owner or entrepreneur needs to read throughout their career at some point? I'm going to give you two because it's very hard for me to say one without the other. One is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And the other is The One Thing by mm. Gary Keller and Jay Papazan. Both two, fantastic books. Non-negotiable. Both need to read, read, need to read both those books. I love it. And my last question, which is purely selfish because I am a music nerd and I need new ideas. What is your pump-up song? What just gets you in a good mood? I would say that's, that's a really good question. I, I'm a huge Guns N' Roses fan to okay. really throw it back to. That. Yeah. So I, uh, and, and I go a little bit deeper on, on the album, the song breakdown on use your illusion Two is what it's not my top favorite, but it's like, I think it's my top three of Guns N' Roses awesome. songs. Not a lot of people know that song that when I saw them in concert, they didn't play it. I was not expecting them to, but thought that would be a neat little bonus. But yeah, I, awesome. I love that song. That's amazing. And one last time for everybody who's listening, where can they reconnect with you if they want to continue this conversation? JasonCircone.com slash more than corporate. So you can pick up my guide and you have free reign to grab a beer from the fridge, take off your shoes and wander around my website and see what you find. I love it. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an amazing little over an hour spent with you. And I am really looking forward to seeing what happens in the future as we continue the conversation. Amber, thank you so much for having me. This is a great time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.